He is the healer. These are real people, real lives. Each of us has a story. And what you have to understand is that we all have a place in his story. And one of the things that I learned when I was coming back to the things of God was that my story was scrambled. My story was not perfect. We had many, many days as a, as a young boy, I, I was around Jesus. But something changed fundamentally as I, as I got older. Something happened. And here's what I want to happen. I want some of you today to have an encounter today, to have a real encounter, not an emotional encounter. I want you to have a real encounter with a God who really loves you. It all starts with the resurrection. If the resurrection is for naught, then why are we here? If the resurrection wasn't true, why am I even preaching? Because the resurrection makes a statement. It says this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It means that he had to take a world full of sinful people and find a way to bridge connection. How do I connect with them? Because they're sinful and I can't tolerate sin, but I I love deeply the sinner. How do I do that? And so Jesus enters time and space, an infinite God into this time and space and on the cross died and paid the price, the beautiful exchange for our sins. That's the story. And yet, everything in culture tries to marginalize the story, tries to marginalize your story, tries to marginalize his story. And we have a part to play in the greatest story that has ever been told. You are an epistle written of men, whether you realize it or not. Here's the thing. The linchpin of this whole thing is the resurrection. And it comes down to this, fundamentally knowing him. It's one thing to know about him. It's another to know him. The scripture that I, I'm going to use today, I used, I'm going to use one scripture today. And I was wrestling about it with God. Lord, what do you want me to say? I might have one opportunity. One, I may not see any of you, some of you again. I hope to see a lot of you again. But I may not see them again. And if I don't, Lord, let me get out of me. And let me be real. And let me deliver what you have for them. And so he took me back to the first chapter of Acts. Jesus has resurrected. That's why we celebrate the empty tomb. That he had power over death and sin. He had been walking the earth for 40 days before he was going to ascend into heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, his final marching orders. This one verse. But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. One scripture is what he gave me for you today in this hour. And the, the thought of it as he began to birth it in me was that it was twofold. One, my people need to know that I have power available for them and they're not walking in it. And number two, they need to be my witnesses. 
but they can't be my witnesses if they don't have the power. The word for power in that scripture is called dunamis. It's dynamite. It's explosive. There needs to be something explosive about a Christ follower that can change the world. That's what happened 2,000 years ago at this time. A bunch of disciples who were cowards. He was restoring Thomas who doubted. He was restoring Peter who betrayed, who denied his Savior. He was restoring people. And this was his final marching orders. And the other part of it that he wanted me to bring up was the third, that, that bottom part. The types of people that Jesus wanted to reach. So he brings up Jerusalem and Judea specifically for a purpose. In that culture, in that time, a Jerusalem, a young Jerusalem boy, at the age of five, would begin to learn the Torah, the first books of the Bible. They would begin to learn it and recite it to the point when they would get to be uh, of age, they could literally recite the Psalms. They knew all about God. And yet here Jesus is on the scene. They completely miss him. They knew all about God, but they did not. They had religion. Here's a foundational truth that I want some of you to get real clear today. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for empty, stale religion. He died on the cross to have an incredible encounter with you a personal relationship with you. To some of you, that's not revelation. To some of you, you may be like that young boy, young girl, Jerusalem, Judea, growing up, knowing all about God, very religious. But you've grown up on your coattails of your parents' faith. You've grown up, you can speak the Bible, you know the Bible, but something isn't right because you don't have the dunamis power that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says there's something missing and you know it you know it that person that person needs that encounter perhaps it it, it was perhaps it was a, a baptism or perhaps it was a, a sprinkling or someone told you who you were and you've just kind of rode that for years you you can even speak christianese Jesus didn't die for us to speak Christianese. He died to have an encounter. I'll probably say that about 10 times by the end of this message. He died to have an encounter with you in this moment, in this place, in this hour, and walking out this door. He died for you because he's passionate for you. And I think that child, I can think of that child, that child was me. That child was me. I grew up in a religious home. I grew up knowing all about Jesus. And at the age of 14, I walked completely away. I let circumstances and problems overcome my life to the point where I completely rejected the Savior that I so learned about when I was a child. The second type of person that they mention in Scripture is the Samaritan. You see, the Samaritan was mixture, knew all about God of their own understanding. 
The Samaritan had their own religion, they had their own temple, they had their own pastors, they had their own priests, they did their own thing. They brought a little bit of God into the equation when it was convenient, but then they did their other things that weren't so godly. Jesus Christ died for the Samaritan. They, they had a form of godliness but denied its power. I, lo- I, I, I correlate it to this. The person who has a head full of God, but a heart full of filth. The Samaritan feels pulled by Las Vegas. They go to Las Vegas. They have a great time. The commercials booze it up, carouse. Even the commercial says that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Never stays in Vegas. We take it. And the Samaritan mixes some of that. And trying to find God, they're drowned drowned out. They can't hear God. God's speaking to them all the time. But they're, they're caught And then we as Christians, we judge them and we say, you can't come to the house of God because you you don't have it all together. That would be the Jerusalem Judea kid. And they're lost. Then there's the third person. To the ends of the earth, the Bible says, in that day, the apostle Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. And in that day... Jerusalem and Judea were the epicenter of of the revival. But the Apostle Paul had a commission to reach the unreachable, to take the gospel where it had never been taken before, to go to places that has never been reached. And today, even today, we're reaching places in, in faraway lands with the gospel. But the Lord just hit me with this this week. He said, Ryan to my spirit as I was preparing for this little message, simple message, it's a simple message. The outermost reaches are also in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And they're sitting in your church, my church, right here. Because they've heard it, but they haven't heard it. They had ears, but they could not hear. They've heard preachers for years pulling at them, trying to bring about emotional response, and they're hard and they're empty because they're self-sufficient, because the, the Samaritan has struggles and so goes back to God a little bit when it's convenient, but the hard end of the earth, God, very difficult to reach because he doesn't or she doesn't see their need for a savior. Perhaps it's the business guy who is doing well in an economy that isn't. Perhaps it's the the person who thinks everything's fine in their marriage relationship. Meanwhile, behind closed doors, it's imploding. Perhaps Perhaps it's the person that has been so hurt by church people that the message is so hard, they... The thought of anything about God is viewed through this skewed prism of legalism and bondage. Jesus didn't 
die for religion. He died for a relationship. He takes the imperfect and he makes it perfect. Is there anyone in here who is perfect? The only one in this room who's perfect is Jesus Christ. And he's here right now. The beautiful exchange happens so that we would have power. So that we don't have to be self-sufficient. So that we don't have to continue repeating the same mistakes year in, year out. You see, I bring up the, the point of the three types of people because the person that is talking to you right now is those three people. I've been the educated Bible guy who knew all about God, but was filled with bitterness and hate. I've been the guy that's been in Samaria, filled and impregnated with sin up to my eyeballs and not knowing how to get out. I've also been that that person that got so jaded that I became an atheist, pretty much, denying the existence of the Christ that died for me. The fact that I'm even up here preaching to you today is a miracle. It's a miracle. Because something happened 11 years ago to me. I had an encounter with a real God, with real power. He was wounded for my alcoholism. He was butchered for my gambling addiction. He was battered and bruised for my pornography addiction. He was battered for my hypocrisy. I put Jesus on that cross. You and I did. So if the tomb is not empty, I'm dead in that. But if it's real, a perfect atoning sacrifice on my behalf, his perfection for my imperfection, if the story is true, then I'm free. If I only believe, the Bible says, if I only believe. And what has to happen, it's not saying an empty religious prayer. It's not saying something. It's believing that you can have a God encounter of the most godly kind. You can have that. But see, I deserve this cross. I deserve this cross. I deserve it. And I can tell you that when I was far from God, I was a good person. And I felt like, even though I was dead in my sin, that I could figure it out. And I would argue with Christians. Because I saw, they're Christians, what power do they have? I don't see it. Until one day, Jesus reached out my hand, he pulled me off the cross, and I had that encounter. And one day, it changed just like that. It was a decision to receive 
grace. Grace is simply this. It's receiving the divine influence of Jesus Christ on your life and giving you unmerited favor so that when you are overcome by your problems, you now have the overcomer. And when Jesus came off that cross, now resurrected, he's with me. So when I receive him, now everywhere I walk, he's with me. That means when I'm tempted to go to places that I shouldn't go, and even as a pastor, I get tempted. When I'm tempted to repeat bad behaviors that are going to affect me, I have to remember He's with me. He's with me in the places that aren't so good, and He's going to bring me out, and He's with me on the mountaintops. No matter where you are in life, if you have Jesus Christ with you, you are more than a conqueror. This is the beautiful exchange. And the last thing that I want to share is that there are moments in life where we say, thank you, Jesus, your work's great, but I can handle it from here. And you do this. This is where many of you are at today in this hour. You put yourself back up here because you've gotten some things right. You put yourself back up there when you mess up and you yell at your spouse and you yell at your kids and, and you go 75 and a 30 and you loathe yourself and you get into condemnation and then you let some other person tell you what a worthless person you are and then you begin to believe that lie and yet you've had the beautiful exchange but you have exchanged the truth for a lie and you get into more condemnation and then you walk away from the very power that you have and it is not I want to repeat, it is not about a religion. It's not about joining a church. It's about having an encounter with Jesus Christ. So he takes me off the cross, and I never have to go back and atone for my transgressions. That's why we celebrate his horrific death, not because we glorify death, but because on that cross, it's finished. His power is here. I say all this to say, you may be one of those people. There were many in the first hour that the Holy Spirit was talking to. And I want to say this. I'm going to ask some of you to do something that might make you uncomfortable. If you're one of those people, and I know there are, I'm going to ask you to stand, and here's why. Because 2,000 years ago, he stood for you. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Some of you have heard that 3,000 times, and it hasn't penetrated I'm going to look each of you deeply in the eye. You need to receive this. He cares 
for you. Those testimonies, those are real. Those are real people. God wants to break us of our own self-sufficiency. We can't possibly follow the rules, but we follow the rules when we lean on his grace. His grace empowers you. He breaks the addictions. He breaks the bad thinking. So here's what I'm going to do. This one's not going to be easy. And I know because of the type of guy I was, because I was hard and I had it figured out, and when a preacher would, whenever I would hear that, I would defiantly say no. I want you to get outside of that. If that's you and and God's tugging at you, I want you to put me to the side and I want you to envision Jesus because that's who I'm speaking for. I'm not, I'm just a guy. But if he's dealing with your heart right now, today is the day of salvation. Some of you need a fresh encounter where the Bible becomes alive. So, in the next minute, I'm going to ask three types of people to stand. One, you grew up knowing all about Jesus. You've been riding the coattails of your family's faith. Maybe you're 10, 15, 20, 30, 40. Maybe you're 70 years old, and you've been riding the coattails of your family's faith. I'm going to ask you to stand for yourself and for your relationship with Jesus. That's the first person. The second person I want to talk to is the person who has been like the Samaritan, who's been here and been here, and you're torn between two worlds, two mindsets. You're listening to people who don't have a relationship with God, who are far from Him, trying to better your life when the only life that is worth living is one that knows Him deeply and personally. If you're that person, there's redemption and forgiveness, and you need to get over the self-loathing, and you need to stop it now third person that I'm talking to is the person who has been self-sufficient. You're a good person. You're a good person, but you're hard. You're very hard. You're a good person, but you're hard and you're self-sufficient. And you, you hear the gospel and you have a fundamental choice. This moment, God's speaking to you to change some things. I'm not going to lie to you. When you, when you, when you receive that, You will be asked to make choices, and it won't always go perfectly. But I will tell you this, from an ex-drunk, gambling, porn addict, one day with Jesus Christ is better than a thousand, drunk, hungover, and in the casino. Dead up to my eyeballs. Because I had an encounter of God's love. So I'm not going to ask people to close their eyes. I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads in front of everybody in this room be the first to take a stand for complete and radical life change because the Jesus Christ I know doesn't just resurrect dead bodies he resurrects dead marriages he resurrects dead relationships he resurrects dead financial pictures dead jobs, he resurrects them. And he can resurrect your heart here and now. On the count of three, I want you to stand there. One. If this is you, God is speaking to you, stand. One, two, three. I applaud your courage. 
applaud your courage. It's never easy. A lot of people that God is dealing with, speaking to. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit, who is here, to just speak words of grace. I ask you to let yourself off the hook. I ask that you have an encounter right now with the God of the universe. You can change. You can change. You can change. This can change just like that. I'm going to pray this prayer. And those of you that are sitting and those of you that are standing, I want you to to just repeat the words. And here's here's what I'm very, very, very insistent upon. If these words are meaningless to you, I honestly don't want you to repeat them. But if they have power, the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you believe with your heart what you're saying, it will come to pass. He's got a great plan, and he will change your life just like that. The Bible says he's no respecter of persons. So just repeat this after me. Father in heaven, I receive your grace. I receive your love. I receive your power for life change. I was heading in the wrong direction, but your grace stopped me and turned me into the right direction. I thank you for dying for me on that cross, not to establish a religion, but a relationship, a divine encounter with you. And in God's power, I consider it done. Amen. You may be seated. One thing I wanted to do as we finish, I wanted to take communion at the end of the Easter celebration service, and here's why. Because many people come to church and they think, well, if I'm not a member, maybe I can't take it, maybe I can't take it. Here's what you need to know. If you are willing to take the Lord's Supper, you take it. You're more than welcome. God's not trying to keep people from the table. He's trying to get people to the table. And so as, they, as the ushers pass the elements here, I'll, I'll lead us in communion after this song. But I want to just take time as, as we sing this song that you allow God's Spirit just to love on you a little bit and to talk to you about areas that need healing. Because after we take communion... We're going to sing healer. And I want you to be healed. So let's 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 worship as we pass out the elements. The family privileges that we have in Christ. I look at it this way. If you are adopted that little baby you adopt a little baby that baby didn't do anything didn't do anything to earn adoption into that family but imagine a, a, a wealthy family that adopts this little baby completely helpless left for nothing and lavishes love and grace and resource how much more your heavenly father on you his privileges that he bought back for you was freedom from all of the things that we talked about. There's healing in the atonement. There's 
there's healing for your, for your mind and your will and your emotions. There's, there's healing for your physical body. And then there's the spiritual healing, threefold. To marginalize or minimalize any of those aspects of his finished work is, is not good. It's not right. We need to, to understand our privileges in him. He was wounded, battered, and bruised so that by his stripes you are healed. Let's take it. The blood is what justifies us. It's what makes us right before God. Even though while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is symbolum. It's a symbolum. It's a symbol. The atoning sacrifice that completely justifies us before a God that demands perfect justice and holiness. When you plead the blood of Jesus, when your accuser, the enemy, comes at you and says, yeah, but, yeah, but, no, I I know Jesus, yeah, but, you plead the blood of Jesus. It says in Revelation, we overcome our accuser by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So when the enemy starts to bring condemnation, you tell him to buzz off and plead the blood. Let's take the elements. Let's lift up our healer. If you said that prayer, I want to encourage you to go back to the Welcome Center. We've got a Bible, and we have this book. It's called Ransom. It's a, it's a little booklet that I wrote. It's about communion, but it's also about the finished work and knowing your rights and privileges as a believer. Amen? Let's say this all together. He is risen on three. One, two, three. He is risen. And he's the healer. God bless you. We'll see you next week.